This is no place for wild beasts. Lock him away. Or I'll let Hob throw him in tonight's stew. Cuts it off right after, right after. There's no. Let me try. Room. Let me try a, a longer sentence. <laughs> Can you string them together from the little snippets that I've got? <laughs> I've got a PDF right here, and you, everyone, can follow along if you're hearing this right now. I'll give you the URL in a second. Hold on. <laughs> If we time it right, it sounds like a conversation between you and David. (laughs) What you're hearing is Scroth, the language of the White Walkers. We are playing this on David J. Peterson's website. He sent this over and said, hey, this is live. I thought it would be cool. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not up yet. And then he was like, oh, yeah, one second. Let me put it up. That information you don't need. But uh, that's what happened. And there's a ton of these little clips on there. It's really cool to actually hear it because we've heard talk about it for a while and know Mm -hmm. that it was one of those things that got passed in the show and so to hear the clips that he sent over it's pretty awesome yeah and everything seems like it's over right now he uh put up all of the stuff that he worked on on d-e-d-a-l-v-s.com slash work if you click on game of thrones there's all the the language work that he did for all eight seasons of the show. And I was like, hey, what about that uh, prequel? And you didn't, you didn't finish the one they didn't <laughs> do. What about the other one? He was like, I can't post that stuff yet. So I don't know. Weird times, but at least Game of Thrones, we know it's now been a year, is all the way completely it's over. Wild. And I don't know if you guys saw the news, Hannah. I don't know if we've talked, if we've talked about this yet, but um, HBO is, I guess they have officially severed ties with working with Titanic Studios. And this was Mm pre-COVID. And so that means that, I don't know, I just assumed there would be some kind of a spillover, like maybe logistical or even the kind of people that would connect the show to their VFX people. Just some kind of logistical work, potentially, for uh, the new series and any other Game of Thrones stuff going through HBO in the future. But it looks like all new blood, all new stuff. I think that that's kind of exciting, though. And different fresh takes, I think, are always going to be a plus. I mean, I know it's not completely like a whole new guard, but. Like the culture of that whole company has shifted now, not Mm -hmm. only because those people left, but just sort of dealing with however to carry the network forward post the uh, success of the show and the finale of the show. And now with all this COVID stuff, I wonder how much they have in the bank waiting to be released. Right. Or how much longer that might delay things. We just don't really know. There hasn't been too much information lately, so. We hope everyone's hard to say. doing all right, though. How are you doing, Hannah? I'm doing fine. I'm hanging in there. How about you? Doing all right. There's like some, definitely some pluses and minuses to this whole thing, so I'm just trying to embrace the good. And we hope everybody at home is doing the same thing. I felt good early this month when I saw that, that George... Our Godfather, our reason to exist, <laughs> put put into much more succinct and eloquent words than I could. It's just feelings about, I guess, his personal feelings about what's going on with the world right now. It's like weirdly comforting in a way because I don't. If you guys haven't haven't read this, you can check it out on his 
not a blog, but he kind of talks about all the different conventions and and his businesses. It's like, this sounds silly, but I think this is what you're trying to say. And this is also the same sentiment that I feel is that there is this sense of togetherness and it's like lifts your spirits up a little bit knowing that you're not the only one going through things. So, Yeah, and I like the way that he puts things. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. we, we have a lot of fun reading his books and the way that he organizes his thoughts is very self-aware. And in a time like this, whenever we're all looking to connect with each other, someone that's able to access that part of themselves and then put it out there to sort of translate what we're all feeling. It's kind of like what he does with the book series, but it was nice to read that about something that's happening now and not be related to like football or something that we don't all relate to, but something that's strange that we're all, it's such a weird time right now. I know the guy that's writing the last two books of the series that we all love and talk about and make friends with each other over is now he now has more time to write because the whole world is quarantined. And that is really, really strange. Yeah, of course he does. This is a line from his uh, from his blog post. He said, if there is a silver lining in these clouds, this will give me more time to finish Winds of Winter. I continue to write every day up here in my mountain fastness. Sounds so cozy. Which is a ridiculous thing to say. I continue to write every day up here in my mountain fastness, XOXO. (laughs) Sounds better than my quarantine. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) That's cool. I hope he's writing Winds of Winter. LOL, 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 We'll know if there's some like a grayscale outbreak at the very end or like if it has just smart, small right. little like the editor goes back and all right. Well, it can't be just at the end of the book. We have to start dropping hints and tidbits moving forward from here. I guess the next chapter that we have with John, we're talking about John 10 today and John 11. There's uh, there's some weirdness with Celise and Val and um, Shireen talking about grayscale and mm-hmm. i don't know if that's ever going to turn into anything but i feel like there's so many microcosms that could later turn into macrocosms that we all deal with as readers and that the characters have to deal with in a dream of spring where it's like i didn't know that that's what everyone was going to have to deal with but something like grayscale ugh, ugh, ironically enough like coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> could be something that unbeknownst to everyone just kind of overtakes the scene you know it's like what you're mean? talking about with Overshadows the Shea. Everything. It's like what you were saying with talking about with the Shea while we were doing our quarantine episode, asking all those questions about like <laughs> those <laughs> silly questions about stuff like that. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe he'll draw on from his real life experiences. We'll see. What did you think about this chapter? How many times have you read it now? I uh, three. I think I read this chapter three times. I just skimmed it right now before we sat down to record, and. I'm excited to talk about it. I think the beginning of this chapter is one of those classic George R. R. Martin opening chapter moments where you don't exactly remember and know what's going on. And I think especially because we have time, the, just the nature of our reading order, there's often a little bit of time between each character or a lot of bit of time, depending on 10 million things. And so... I feel like it took me a couple paragraphs. I was like, wait a second. I do not remember what's going on here because we kind of just jump right into the middle of this wedding. Mm. What did you think about it? I have this weird relationship with John chapters and it was early too. I hadn't read the whole series at the time of the show's airing or starting the podcast because we were reading it chapter by chapter to go through it. And I wasn't aware of 
the scale of Jon Snow's importance to the story. Like, I didn't know he was the heartthrob guy. Right. I had no idea that well, he was the How could main you dude. have known? Everyone, for example, <clears throat> at the wedding celebration, everyone's eating and having a good time. Jon's not having a good time because he's thinking about their supplies. And he's Jon Snow, so. Well, maybe he is still having. <laughs> he never has a good time. <laughs> Jon's had like three good times in his whole life. but he... <laughs> I think that, I, I don't think that we're, we need to feel bad for him in this moment, though, because the kind of satisfaction that he gets from leading all these people is so deep mm-hmm. that it's so savage that he's the one that's deciding who gets fed and how. He's thinking about one one. He's like, I'll save this section of an elk for one one. It's just a very intimate way to interface with all those people and the location of Castle Black and really mm-hmm. just the politics of what's happening between the men of the Night's Watch in general. And I know that in the context of everything, it's even more cool because it's happening at the top, the sort of pivotal linchpin area of this greater threat amidst all the weird squabbling and positioning that everyone's doing at the same time this weird power vacuum that Stannis and everyone, all the, the struggle with the Boltons in the North has created after Ed fled South. It just makes it even more complicated because it's not, he's not just the Lord commander of the night's watch as well. Just like making huge decisions about the wildlings and making huge decisions about like Alice Karstark marrying a thin and having a thin and all their men sent to Carhold. Crazy. Right, under Melisandre burying them, under all of that, too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just complicated. Is that Right. And so it seems like it could be more, it just, it's kind of cut and dry. Like, this guy's a leader, and his men are not agreeing with his decisions because he's allowing a lot of stuff that they stand against, sort of conceptually, rot the tra- tradition that they have. But with all the context... The politics are just, you know what I mean? The implication to everything makes the the way that he feels specifically about all the new stimulus in this chapter, the way he sort of like pivots from each presented option and decides and reveals who he is inside of it. Even if they're small moments, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. It's compelling. I think that it's even more compelling as we go on it through a read through because I know that the first time I read it, I was not thinking in any way, shape, or form that somebody like Jon Snow, the hero of the story, was going to get the fate that he did. And so you're kind of talking about all the things that can distract you in his story that kind of pivot you away from some of the politics that are happening, even though Jon's thinking about who isn't there for the wedding and he's dealing with prisoners and kind of all these different things. He's thinking to himself about how he's in too deep with Stannis and how (laughs) folks are disapproving of that. I think that some of that is easily glossed over because we're on his side. And so the momentum of that, the first time that you go through that is lost, or I think some of the politics of that are lost. But as we go through it on the second, third, fourth reread, after we've seen it play it on the TV series, I think that this is like kind of pivoting to a different thought, but the same thought. So just bear with me for a second. Um, we think about a lot about the conversations that we have about Daenerys and about how their stories kind of parallel each other as they go through these growing pains in their early stages of leadership. What and- stage do you think that Daenerys is at right now 
or, or I guess better question, what John's dealing with right now, like what version of that has Danny either dealt with or is dealing with? I think that they're in the same boat. I think that what's happening to the both of them is pretty, runs pretty parallel in the sense of um, they're Marine both. Marine would be John's Lord Commander sort of area. I would think so because they're both in situations that they got themselves into that are controversial, that had the best intentions in mind that neither themselves can back out of or can get themselves get themselves out of. And John's ends in his death, and we don't quite know how that necessarily will end for Daenerys. But um, I was just thinking about that a lot, especially near the end of this chapter. She flies um, away. Sorry, go on. No, I was just kind of petering out my point but <laughs> go ahead she flies away on a dragon and stressed to the point of a kind of ego death in a way i don't know i mean obviously they can't be exactly the same no but i think that they deal with a lot of the same arrogance issues or or I arrogance probably isn't the right word in this context. It's more of idealism and the deep desire to be good while not necessarily understanding that everything isn't so black and white, that things are a little bit more gray. And so those things, as I'm sure we've talked about in other John chapters, those things just stand out to me so much more as we get closer and closer to the end of John's story here. And um, it just stands out to me more than it ever has. Something that I thought was interesting at the beginning of this chapter, and I don't know, this is probably like a stupid question, but I just decided (laughs) I'm just going to talk about it anyway. I think that one of the big themes that we get here, as I was saying, is we have this wedding between... Alice Karstark, this fam, this northern family to a Fen, and it's this really big deal. And she's wearing a Night's Watch cloak. I mean, they're like deep in John's, like in some deep politics here, mm-hmm. and really towing the line deeply. But I don't understand why it was Melisandre that married them. I would assume that they would. I mean, nobody follows the Red God. Like nobody follows. Neither of the parties follow her. And so I didn't know if that was like something to because she was there and because this is Stannis's vibe, even though he's not there. Or like, why did John make that decision? Why did they get married like in the Godswood or something? You know, I think it's kind of like that uh, Stannis insisting they call Val a princess thing where people really just want something. It's like, we want it to go this way, and now X amount of us are in charge so we can make it go this way. And that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. But instead of it just being, that's what we're going to do, and that's what we tell people that we did because we wanted to do it, we make it about other stuff. So by having this really strong presence and list of followers and this sort of born-again spirit inside of Stannis, like, I believe in this, and I'm not only chosen by the red guy or not only chosen because of uh, the line of succession that you guys all screwed up a couple years ago, but I'm also chosen by the one true God. And I'm also a faded hero that has a magic sword. If you don't believe me, check out my magic friend. 
Melisandre. She makes a bunch of fire happen. And then everybody goes, ah, yes. Well, the thing that they're doing is the thing that they're doing. And so in this case, we've got this wedding between Alice Karstark and Sigourn, which is completely, when you think about it, absolutely batshit. And it has sure. a lot of the, re- it's, it's why what happens to John happens to John. In the context of everything, it's not batshit. And in John's point of view, it's not either. I mean, Stannis was just at the wall as the king. He offered John the ability to become a Stark again, take the seat of Winterfell, and also Mance Raider was magically shifted before his eyes by Melisandre's magic. So like normalcy and all chillness has been thrown out of the window. So, I don't know. So, why not? Right. <laughs> Let's just add another thing to the mix. Right. And also, <laughs> the Karstarks have turned their asses against his family more than once and have hurt themselves, have hurt other people that live around them, and have hurt people that are weaker than them, basically in the name of a few guys who have access to power's ability to take as much as they can because weird shit's happening with the Seven Kingdoms right now. And so, he's like... I don't like that at all. That's completely against his whole thing. Not to mention the fact that his family is dead partially because of that kind of stuff. So hello. He's like, I don't want to allow that to happen any further. So here's what we're going to do. This girl who came here, we're going to send her back with wildling people. The most badass of them that we can find. Mm -hmm. And then she's going to send me her men when they're starving and we need more help. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. She was it's like, just, Carhold remembers. And it's like, I don't know, man. That's like a tweet. It is a tweet. Exactly <laughs> a tweet. It's just interesting to me because he's just so obviously trying to, he's trying to get everything. He's playing his dad and also pretending to be Lord Commander a little bit. And he even thinks that to himself at some point. I think it's when he was having a conversation in the in the cells. I'm trying to scroll through it. Just kind of wondering what his what his dad would do yeah it is it's when he's talking to i love this line dude what the one i'm about to read yeah yeah i hope i read the right one <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you're, thinking you're gonna <laughs> um was his john wondered what his father would do how his uncle might deal with this but eddard stark was dead benton stark lost in the frozen wild beyond the wall you know nothing john snow and right before that it's the the night's watch took no part in the cores quarrels of the realm some would say he had already given Stannis too much help. It's like, well, you think, mm-hmm. buddy? Can I add to it? Your Please. Quote? Behead this fool. Okay. That was not the right energy. Let's try it again. <laughs> <laughs> An age-old quandary, which is, behead this fool, and they will claim I am killing Northmen to give their lands to wildlings. Release him, and he will do his best to rip apart all I've done with Lady Alice and the Magnar. It's just he's in he cannot win. I almost said he can't lose. He can't win. There's nothing that he can do. And so um I get all of the stuff that Cregan, is that how you say his name? I get why he would be furious. I mean, he well, first of all, he's supposed to marry her. So number one, but we'll take that off the nice. table. He you spend your whole life thinking one way, and not that people shouldn't learn to accept other people and like change their worldviews but you spend your whole life thinking one way and then he uh here's this guy who's not even supposed to be meddling in anything that you're doing marrying marrying her off to to somebody else and he i love that he uh 
He calls him a, a he calls him a bunch of things, and then he calls him a bastard, and John's like guilty of that at <laughs> <Got> least. That. <laughs> it's just so good. He's doing so much more than just making this marriage happen. I mean, this is really a stab in the side. Imagine being Cregan in this case, and you've seen this girl grow up. She's so young and so beautiful, you know, and she's kin to you, which makes it even a little bit better. He's like, I know this isn't really allowed, but this is what would get me what I need. So there's so many different things that he likes about it. Plus, he's going to be able to be in charge, which, I mean, it has its perks. He's been waiting his whole life for this. And then now Jon Snow, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Night's Watch Ned Stark's bastard of all I people. know. And Ned Stark's been dead for a, a long time. He marries off this girl who has hated her, has hated her uncle, and just in general— not liked authority for a long time. You can kind of get her vibe in this chapter. She's really smart. I love what she, John says about her at the beginning, which we can read after you make your point. She's with it. She is with it. And so, of course, he, the uncle, in this case, Cregan, knows just how deep down she's maliciously against him. She came to the wall. She tattled to Lord Commander Jon Snow. He comes out. He meets the guys that are riding up to the wall. He meets them outside of Molestown, right? And now they can't claim guest right. So he he captures them and puts them in ice cells ahead of this, anticipating all of it. So the guy's coming off of that amount of anger. And to make matters worse... He's not only taking what he wants from him, which we've already established is so many levels of desire and so much patience. God, it's been hard, too. He lives in the north. It sucks. It's not Dorne. <laughs> the person that he's marrying her to is powerful, more powerful than him, and has all of those men. And so now all of those men that are more powerful than him and his other friends are going to go live at their house with all their girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> It's stressful. It's a stressful situation. And so, you know, I can sympathize, but I, I, I it'll Dude. be interesting to see if he really decides to take the black and just kind of like get away with it or let it go or if some, you know, I guess we already know the answer to that question. But See, that's the thing that we're going to find out in a few chapters with John when he gets stabbed by his people. Right. It's like this decision right here. I'm sure is one that burnt them all to the core. Well, because they didn't Donald, even Donald come. All those guys, like, exactly, dude. They're sitting back and they're imagine what that must feel like. They're like that might happen to us. These people are savages. How do we? How do we compete? Right. Le- legitimately, how do we do that? It's interesting to me that John is taking note of these things. I mean, he's he's decently self aware, and yet I think he's just kind of like has to go down the road with the decisions that he's made because he has to see that this kind of thing is coming. And Melisandre is continually warning him that she sees. Keep your wolf yeah. close What by, is it that, he, that she says that he, she sees something that I can't remember, but she, yeah, she tells him to. She was talking about Patchface having skulls around him and blood on his lips. But that was after Patchface says that line about the uh, mermaid eating starfish. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was like a prophetic John thing. She, no, 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 no. She said daggers in the dark, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, or did yeah. did she yeah. say that before? She says something like that. I'm trying to skip to it. 
Anyway. God, that's so creepy. Oh, no, she said it before originally, like chapters ago, I think. And she's been just like reminding him about it. Like, I think those daggers are materializing. Like, it's like a, a dark detector in Moody's office, you mm-hmm. know? And he's like, they're getting closer. She the says, vision's becoming clearer. I'm seeing skulls and you. I see your face every time I look into the flames, which we can LOL, a full other discussion. Oh, so the danger funny. that I warned of you grows close, very close now. Daggers in the dark. I know. You'll forgive my doubts, my lady. Um, And then a little bit later, she says, you'll do well to keep your wolf beside you, my lord, which um, I think is, you know, either a nod to guarding him or potentially how he's going to be able to come back afterwards. It's got layers. It's just like might just be look out. You're a guy who has a wolf by you. This is a coy way to say you better keep your wolf by you, like an indirect sort of warning or a nod to how John will be able to ward into him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's probably more the case. But he's he's acting like the rules matter, and man, doesn't that suck? <laughs> it's like, but wait a second, they can't do this because this is how things right. are. I'm the Lord Commander. This is how things are. Uh, you can't so just naive. <laughs> all stab me. That doesn't that's make any so sense. Pure. That's so pure and naive. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like he's not doing things to make like his situation feel a little bit more solid or at least seem that way. At least it seems that way for like, he's promising stuff to the wildlings. So it's like I'm I feel like he's trying to get allies at the same he's time. He's just doing his best. Yeah. He's just doing his best. So is Melisandre doing her best. This Melisandre whole, was working it at this chapter. <laughs> she was. And I just, you can't help but laugh when he, she spends all this time talking about how frustrated she is because when she looks for Stannis, when I search for him, all I see is snow. And oh, she's yeah. like, I would know, I would know if he was dead because he's the Lord's chosen. Blah, 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 blah. I love blah, that. Blah. She like gives the whole spiel. She's like, talks about how Dragonstone is the location of salt and smoke. Mm-hmm. And John's like, I don't know if he was born there, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's just like, it's like Melisandre uh, down the road from now is going to be reading back through her journals and seeing all this stuff about how every time she looked for Stannis she could only see snow and it's like lol so Jon Snow if only you had it's like she says about the um, about the gray girl the gray girl on a dying horse and she was like I was not wrong the vision was a true one it was my reading that was false yeah do you think that he thinks that she might have something going on right now like she might be playing even some late late game gamesmanship i don't think that he i think that after that i just i don't think that he trusts anything that she says necessarily i mean she's very um he's very i I don't know what the word is i'm thinking of but he He cuts right across whenever she was talking about being able to see stuff he's he's like so where is him you see fools in your fire huh no hint of stannis yeah, she's very, and, and then he thinks in that line right after that, his internal monologue is the same useless answer, is what he says to himself. And so I think that he, not that he sees right through her, because I do think that Melisandre, as we've discussed, has some, if, if not more than any other religious figure in this series, has some glimpse into truth. But I, I think he's kind of, I think the thought of, Arya having potentially been on the way here is kind of the last straw for him. Um, the fact that that wasn't true. And so I'm sure it gets annoying at some point. Yeah. Everything seems a little 
just uh, less than its sheen there at the wall. It's a, uh, let me read this, this quote. It has nothing to do with the point that I was making, but the, uh, the sort of sentiment heraldry ending at the wall. Also, he's the Lord commander. So he's automatically got a point of view where he's not looking up. He's letting the information that is given to him sort of bounce off if it's BS or if it's what he's actually looking for. Then he's like, aha, now I have more information to make my next decision. So at the end of this ceremony, walking up to Salise and Melisandre, him telling Salise in so many words at first that you need to leave so I, because I need to have a conversation with Melisandre, that's sort of analogous to his whole relationship with what they're doing in general. He's just like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm I'm walking up here. I'm giving you the, the pleasantries because you guys are supposed to be here because I acknowledge that Stannis has men and has helped us, is here and seems to be a, a, a worthy ally, an ally that I really couldn't avoid in the moment. And so all of this is left over, but your magic and the relationship that you guys have and all the men that Stannis left behind that you've got around you, Solis, I don't really buy what all of you guys are doing in general. And that's just kind of the attitude for everything at the wall. When everyone gets there, the heraldry ends and the sort of past and the stories go away. And so hearing people talk like they've got other stuff like, Oh, outside of here, like I know everything is kind of, uh, ragtag and sort of got a country end of the world vibe here at the wall. But trust me, I I know Roller, you know, like I'm a magic person. I know this guy (laughs) and he just has no time for it. Mm Mm-hmm. He kind of thinks it reminds me of and I can't I was kind of looking for him, but I couldn't find it. But at the beginning of the chapter, he basically says that it gets why Stannis left. (laughs) (laughs) He's like looking around at all this stuff is going on and he's looking at Solis and he's looking at all of Stannis's men who are paying attention. He's like, I kind of I kind of get it. What is this? (laughs) It's kind of funny. What fire joins none may put asunder. It's just Except interesting. For kings and uncles. Salise is here for it, though, 100% into it. It's like she, John notices that she'd walk directly into the flames right now if given the command. Dude, he is uh, served cold. A shit sandwich <laughs> served cold to Salise. Oh, my God. I know. Whenever she was talking about, uh, you know, I've, I was trying to talk to Stanny about us redoing our marriage in the, the light of the... Of Roller, we really think that if we did this, maybe uh, we could have a boy. We could have another kid that doesn't have grade scale, and it would be awesome. And he's like, "Yeah, if Stannis would ever sleep with you again, what are you talking it's about? So... Crazy!" He's like, "Stannis is never gonna get it up for you. You're nuts." <laughs> it makes me, it makes me feel bad for her, uh, like ten percent. And then I think about what is potentially going to happen down the road, and kind of everything that might play out with Shireen and Salise's involvement and all of that and then I don't feel bad anymore but Homegirl is like ready to follow Melisandre into the dark so are you then on John's side as far as the way that he talks about her do you think that he's being too harsh because part of me thinks that he's kind of an asshole I'm like Jesus man for sure he is for sure I mean she's just especially because there's not necessarily anything for him to be that annoyed about other than he just hates weakness he's like oh my god I can't believe you believe her but he also saw her do magic so what the man we're like looking at it from a perspective of seeing 
Celise like allow her daughter to be burned at the stake. And so I feel like we can yeah. we can have those feelings towards her. But right here and now, she's like some lady that John doesn't like because she's zealous. And... The magic though, the Melisandre's magic. I feel like he's being hypocritical. He saw oh. that. Plus, oh, yeah. he can do weird stuff with his wolf. I mean, what the? F- Come on. Come on, George. Know. George, what's going on here? What's up with John's skepticism? Like, I, I get that Melisandre always says that she sees the same thing. But, I mean, he's really, get old after really cold a while, on this. Like, I get that it would be cold or old. But, I mean, we are kind of in a magical land a little bit. John's always a downer, though, you know? Like, when has John ever been thrilled to be alive except for when he was in the except for when he was in the cave you know right hmm. that's a good question i bet there's a few other times <laughs> yeah a few so God, when you're making that comparison those parallels between john and danny earlier i was like so john gets his role of leadership because of sam and daenerys has jorah <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> You got to have your fans. There's something in that sort of like simpering, supportive person with you. Yeah, you got to have your fans. Okay. It's like that that tweet or that uh, gif about a tweet. That's too many layers, man. (laughs) What's the point you're trying to make? The person that's like up on a balcony dancing. Right. And there's like like two people down below dancing The two people who always like your tweets. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, shout out to you guys for us. Really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know who you are. Can we talk about these eye cells? Please. I was hoping that we could just read some of these descriptions. Only if you read the one about his beard clinking together. Oh, that one was good. That was kind of like far into the conversation. I know, but still. That was such a good one to to pick out because I had been uh, excited about all of the imagery at the beginning of... uh, of Cregan like getting out of the pile mm-hmm. and then they were arguing for a little bit and then George is like hey remember all that like crazy <laughs> ice stuff <laughs> he's, this is all happening while his beard is twinkling together yeah read that read the first stuff at the beginning and then I'll find that one I just want to say really quick I thought this was so unbelievably fantastically done like it was like watching Dave Chappelle do a stand-up special like 30 years into his career when he's become the person that he is and it's like you're inhabiting a living it's like you didn't even write this you're just a living character right now Mm -hmm. that was John walking into this cell and talking to this guy it was just like everything has led to John being the guy who has like the key that can barely open the, the icy lock and it's Maybe we all hoped for a, a better future, you know, a little bit less meager, humble of an existence. But John is, this is what he was born to be. He was born to be a the annoyed <laughs> Lord Commander <laughs> opening an icy lock and dealing with this shit. Anyway. Um, okay. In one corner of the cell, a heap of furs was piled up almost to the height of a man. A man. Carstark, said Jon Snow, wake up. The furs stirred. Some had frozen together, and the frost that covered them glittered when they moved. An arm emerged, then a face. Brown hair, tangled and matted and streaked with gray, two fierce eyes, a nose, a mouth, a beard. Ice caked on the prisoner's mustache, clumps of frozen snot. Snow. His breath steamed in the air, fogging the ice behind his head. You have no right to hold me. The laws of hospitality. Blah, 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 blah. Has that ever happened to you before? which, Which thing? Like... You've lived in decently cold places where, like, mm-hmm. 
you're outside and either your face freezes or like in my case, my tears <laughs> frozen to my face. Like it ain't fun. I've had snot and tears for sure. Yeah, it's gross. It's not a good feeling. It's awesome. You can lick the snot and you're like, that's what it tastes like. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Uh, I you let's off. see. John had given his chief captive the largest cell, a pail to shit in, enough furs to keep him from freezing, and a skin of wine. Barely. It took the guards some time to open his cell as ice had formed inside the lock. Rusted hinges screamed like damned souls when Wick Whittlestick yanked the door wide enough for John to slip through. Want to respect that sentence for a moment. Oh, and the follow-up sentence. A faint fecal <laughs> odor greeted him, though less overpowering than he expected. <laughs> and the next one. <laughs> what a what a big mood. A faint fecal odor greeted him, though less overpowering than he'd expected. Even shit froze solid in such bitter cold. What do you mean even? Especially <laughs> shit. That is just, what are you talking about? Especially, sh- I'm changing that. Especially shit froze solid in such bitter cold. John could see his own reflection dimly inside the icy walls. God, Sounds that's miserable. crazy. In one corner of the cell, you already read this. I read all that part. Up. Yeah. Wow. And then halfway through the conversation... Cregan shook his head. Chunks of ice had formed about the tangles of his hair and clinked together softly when he moved. So imagine, um, I don't know, you're watching a TV show or if if you guys grew up like me, you're playing a video game or reading, but you are reading a book in this case. But I feel like people are so much less patient in their description. There's so much less just deep inside the person and then letting the environment and the scale of it surround you. Mm-hmm. I could read this book shallowly like I have before, or I can look at the I can look at it now and know that John is he's in charge of who goes inside the jails and who gets to leave the jails and what happens for the Among time. Among other being. things. And he's in there talking to his prisoner and is it, this place is so hardcore that their cells are carved out of the wall of ice that they use to protect the realm. And the Lord Commander goes in there and talks to the people that are in the cell and they get up from they, their constant state when their prisoners at the wall is like almost freezing. And they're like barely hanging on to their sanity, I'm assuming at some point, like I guess you get used to it. And to be honest, the cold can be quite nice after a while, but that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) It can be. But when you're stuck in it like that, I mean, this is like the art department. What I'm trying to say is the art department on this. Like you're like three quarters of the way through a cool video game and you're in some like this like ice palace. And this is how completely this particular king, this ice king or whatever, this is how savage his punishment is. It fits the location. This fits the location. It is. This is savage to do to a person savage on top of all that other stuff that we were talking about john is a fuck to this guy like this is a cold ass thing to do i know that he could have killed him i know that we're living in a in a world where that's pretty much what they do and if the tables were turned that guy would have definitely done worse to john but i'm just saying like we came up with this guy and so seeing it sort of happen i don't like give it the amount of credit that's credit to do that that's due for it but when you think about the context of everything, it's just so it's just such an evocative environment for George to write and to give a person that we like and understand so personally to be inside of because we can kind of almost be him. We can almost be that weird ice king that's talking very harshly to a guy 
in an ice cell <laughs> that mm-hmm. he locked him in, who's like f- basically freezing. He's got icicles on his facial hair clinking together while he's arguing with you. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's good. Yeah, I totally agree. It's super, super well written, especially in the context of everything else that's going on. And I think right after this, he goes to the wedding celebration and he's hit in the face by how warm it is. It's mm-hmm. like a warmth mm-hmm. that you don't often get to see at the wall. Like cloying. Mm-hmm. And so I think to have those two scenes back to back with each other, um, oh, so good, just makes the vibes seem that much more intensely different. Because I'm trying to find exactly what it is, but he can't even go inside for a second because he's like, it's so hot in here. <laughs> well, also the people that are in there and the kind of conversations that they're having is 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 kind of like the same microcosm that the environment like the heat is for him Mm -hmm. i feel like he almost preferred having that blunt oh for sure you know like cotter pike's letter it just doesn't have any bs in it yeah like john is like that is what i like and he was talking to cregan in that ice cell and he was like that's the way cregan was talking to me because he had he'd been in here freezing he doesn't have any adjectives some extra shit to throw in there like i'm not axel florent that's that's not anyway it's it's pretty good and then it rolls into a lot of fluff it says, exactly. after the biting cold of the ice cells, the crowded cellar was so hot that John felt suffocated from the moment he came down the steps. The air smelled of smoke and roasted meat and mulled wine. Axel Florent was making a toast as John took his place upon the dais. To King Stannis and his wife, Queen Selyse, Light of the North, Sir Axel Bellow to Roller, the Lord of Light. May he defend us all. One land, one God, one king. One land, one God, one king, the Queen's men echoed. John and thinks Axel Floor is the lamest person in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. I don't think he's too fond of him. Jesus. But he drinks anyway. He drinks with them. Well, that's good. He didn't, like, cause a fight or cause a scene. For once. Yeah. It's like... I feel when I was reading the end of this chapter and the way that he ended the conversation with Axel Florent, I was like, well, why didn't you? And then I realized, oh, because that would have been really bad. There's like no good ending to that. And how many of those situations do we have in our day-to-day life that we have to be grown-ups through? <laughs> Ten million. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy crap. Ten million. But what an absolute one. Like Florent really knew the position that he was in. But I doubt that he could have been sure that John wouldn't retaliate in some way. So that Between was courses, Sir Axel Florent led Queen Celise onto the floor to dance. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, imagine. So what does this guy want? I mean, heck if I know. I'm scrolling to there. He... Is he just like trying to get it with Val? I mean, he basically, that's what he basically says to John. Or he is like trying to backhandedly congratulate him for, he's like, I'll take it even as long as, long as she's not pregnant. Mm. It's like, okay. It's just, it's just like really now, John's like, I'm Lord Commander and I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like nothing matters right now, dude. John's side. He was wary of explaining that Val was no true princess. No matter how often he told them, they never seemed to hear. Your persistence, Sir Axel, I grant you that. That was like the the exchange with Celise. It's just she's smart enough to know that she can't say nothing to him and that he's not going to just let it glaze over. Like he's used to people just 
like he'll, he'll literally say out loud, mm-hmm. Val is not a wildling princess. And everyone like turns away and starts talking again. They're like, isn't it crazy how Val's a wildling princess? Right. Well, or like earlier when he's having a conversation with Alice and she's talking about her new man. Let me find it. Oh, yeah. And John has to correct her on. Some of the thin history lesson. Yeah. John has to correct her. So, um. I'm now a woman wed, a wildling husband with his own little wildling army. And then what John's quick cool to line. jump in. He's like, That's free folk is what they the call combo. themselves. I know. Most at least. The Thens are a people apart, though. Very old. It's just, I feel like John, no, it's right. Well, John also has a, is not really the best or the president and CEO of explaining himself very well. And so I feel like, gotta cut these people a little bit of a break. But he's like giving a little back lesson onto them. I I really like that moment because it felt like he was trying to make her feel good as well. But also it was I wasn't sure like how serious he was. She was begging him to make her feel good, basically. (laughs) Right. She's like up in his grill. Yeah. What'd you think about her tearing off the bread and throwing it at him? Just the general, yeah. the, the flirtatious vibe overall. She like puts his hand, she puts his hand on his, as you say, she touched his hand, Carhold remembers. It's yeah. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Go off, I guess. It's your wedding day. It's like I said, don't feel bad for John because he's looking around and thinking about how much butter they have. He was, this is him thriving. All these people are... Under his roof, and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I don't approve of some of this, but some of this is okay. Tormund's on his way at the end, so I guess things aren't so bad after everybody said it wasn't possible. When he was explaining that the Thins are basically more civilized than the rest of the wildlings that live beyond the wall, or... The free folk, It almost you. feels wrong saying the wildlings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says that Mance had to fight their... Magnar, I think he had to best him three times or something for them to join their cause. What? Why? Why is it important that Mance could physically fight this one guy, like one-on-one, that they could fight? Why is it important in general? Why is it important right now? Both. What What do you think the deal with that is? I think that John just has such a soft spot, and so he wants to put on for his his, like, his faves, you know? Like, brag about it a little bit. Right, but those people, I mean, if Mance has got all these other wildlings, or sorry, free folk, he's got all these free folk, and he's like, okay, well, we're all doing this because it's the land of always winter up here. It's always winter, and the White Walkers really want to make it even more winter, so we've got to go find the rest of people. We've we've been up here tax-free for as long <laughs> as we possibly could muster. I think we need to head south. And this guy's like, okay, but... I want to know if you can beat me up. <laughs> that's just how they handled things. I don't know. Isn't that like, that's such a, how is that any different than politics nowadays, you know? Like, just because it's not physical fighting, it's all the same kind of vibe. Yeah, but I feel like it's so much more about armies and like actual shows of power, not about like a 1v1. It just seems like a strange thing. Yeah. I don't know. So, so Mance Raider is a really good fighter because he just he beat this Magnar of Thin, and these were pretty hard. Well, yeah, people. what we know about the Thens is, I'm afraid of them. So, yeah, right, that's exactly. got to mean a lot. It's got to mean a lot, and it's got to be a thing later. Just his overall prowess, I think. Which, of course, it's been a huge plot point or up to this point, but I think moving forward, 
We got we got some more. It's definitely not the last of it, I think, because this can't have all been for nothing. Let the Magnar come to Carhold. We'll hack off his head, stuff it in a privy so we can piss in his mouth. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Before that conversation, though, that we were talking about um, with Axel, John gets that message. Oh, yeah. The bird. That's pretty important. Watch. Yeah. You get some long awaited news, he says. Let me read this. This is from Cotter Pike. Calm seas today. Eleven ships set sail for hard home on the morning tide. Three Bravosi, four Lyseni, four of ours, two of the Lyseni barely seaworthy. Shout out to Solidar San. We may drown more wildlings than we save. Your command. Twenty ravens aboard and Maester Harmon will send reports. I command from Talon Tarsalt, second on Blackbird. Sir Glendon holds East Watch. So Cotter Pike's going to Hardhome and someone that is really close friends with Alistair Thorne is now in charge of the Night's Watch second biggest base. Which ain't it. Yeah. What do you think of all that? I think that John has every right to be not thrilled with his with this decision. He says not the man I would have chosen. He rolled the parchment up and slipped it in his belt. I mean he doesn't really what a have move. <laughs> he doesn't really have not the man I chose it rolls it up. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean yeah that's not a good look for John who needs every ally he can get at this point. But it's news that he's been waiting for, at least R. E. Hardhome, so Can't wait for us to get there. John is the only one at the wall that can get text messages. Maybe Queen Celise too. She gets texts. Like she has her own bird. Yeah, but who is she texting? Person. You know? Definitely not Stannis, that's for sure. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Probably like uh, someone that works for Valor and Bravos or something. Isn't Stannis absolutely hitting up Melisandre though? Or I guess that's I guess that that's part of the whole mm-hmm. thing is that she doesn't know where he is. Yeah. No, John, remember he was warning yeah. them about I remember Arnoff. Uh, he sent them a bird to Deepwood Mott. A little bit confused because we were just doing the uh, latter chapters and the, the from the wind sample where we get to see Stannis like use that information. But yeah, no one really knows I what's going on for a second. But uh, as far as pre-win stuff like if you were to believe Ramsey's letter then Stannis was presumed dead right like a, a few chapters after this so I forgot it's, for it's a second like, it's so it's so up in the air that that might like that information was able to help turn the tide so much with the men you know mm-hmm. so they really don't know so Melisandre for example can't be like yeah I'm in touch with him or yeah I'm actually talking to him through the fire can you imagine John walking up to her you know, they just had this, he's wedded a freaking wildling leader to a car Stark that he's known since he was a little kid. And it's pretty, some pretty heavy stuff. And he's like, hey, uh, you see anything in your magic torch? <laughs> yeah. You, you, see any, you see any new stuff? That's crazy. It is wild, especially as we know that it's not all wrong, that there's some truth behind it. But I think that when you don't necessarily believe that there's a lot of truth behind it, then it's just like another part of your day. Just like, gotta check in on these guys too. How much does it come down to that old blood in his veins? Isn't that crazy though that he's got the the old like first men 
flints or yeah, you know what I mean? His his great grandma was a flint and he's also a Targaryen. It's like basically polar opposite. It's like we get it. <laughs> John's the chosen one. We get it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that I wanted to talk about because it's interesting is hmm. Patchface, which shows up in this chapter very briefly, who is a really interesting character. And I don't know. I guess I guess I have nothing to say. Preamble. I guess I have nothing to say because now I what feel about, self-conscious that I brought it up. What about Patchface <laughs> is intriguing you in this chapter? I mean, in general, I get his like overarching I don't know what his deal is, presence. Like how much of it is a ruse, how much of it is just mean to troll us like a like the fool that he is. Right. I don't like nothing really necessarily happens in particular in this chapter. But to me, it's just one of those things that it would be a shame not to mention because, yeah, because he's got like this mythicalness about him and we don't necessarily know exactly how he knows what he knows and kind of what anything he says might mean in the future. But I just think that Melisandre talking about how evil he is, basically, is an interesting nod to kind of like tuck away for later. Totally. It's a it's a it's a fateful reminder this late in the game and if you've been following the discourse Patchface's words have been analyzed over the years and they've led to I can't quote them all from memory but they've led to specific parallels from his words to stuff that has happened like the happened, red wedding specifically the red wedding yeah and so we're like suspicious at this point we're all suspicious can you read that quote do you have it saved the quote of what he said or the quote about Melisandre what Melisandre the- says about him John, I'm going to give context. John walks up. He says, uh, hey, um, <laughs> you, exactly should go- what he <laughs> <laughs> you should go to the wedding. Um, they're going to the queen needs to be at the wedding celebration. And Solis is like, yeah, I think Melisandre knows the way. And then Melisandre is like, yeah, actually, I still need to work on these fires some more. So she's like, oh, OK. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, that is the worst. And I'll see you there. And so. If you were a fly on the wall in the situation, everyone, you would have witnessed the quietness and everyone would have wanted to not be the person that broke the silence next. I mean, not even Solis in this case, not Melisandre. John would have been the one that would have been most okay with it because he's got nothing to feel cringed out about. But like everyone else was kind of feeling it in that moment. And Patchface broke in. Well, it's like Sir, <laughs> he was Sir like, Malagorn offered his arm and Queen Solis took it stiffly. And then two seconds later... Patchface does his little song and dance. He says, Under the sea, the mermen feast on starfish soup and all the serving men are crabs. Patchface proclaimed as they went, I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. Dizzy files a copyright claim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really funny. So, I mean, like I said, I don't think that necessarily there's something... I don't think that this is necessarily pointing to something. I think if this is pointing to anything, it's just like another reminder of where potentially Patchface gets his um, powers from or whatever. But I just think it's always of note to like mention him when he comes across. If you have a specific opinion about this, you should email us or tweet us or something. Because I feel like there's a lot of different theories about Patchface, and uh, maybe 
better instead of like reading random ones if you guys feel really passionate about one specifically i'd like to check it out but yeah i still don't have my mind my mind made up either all i know is that i looked at a lot of pictures of him on google and all of them are terrifying (laughs) (laughs) so that's all i have to say about that (laughs) i was thinking about doing a patch face cosplay as late as today i was like a patch face cosplay might be kind of cool but then i feel like there's so much pressure to be patch face once you can't just wear a patch face cosplay and be I don't know, I feel like, like hey would, guys i feel like you would do well because then you could just go into any situation just you don't have to necessarily contribute to the vibe you can just say whatever you want like random, random words stuff mm, yeah you know i think we're on to something here <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else just before we go, I wanted to say that there's a lot of uh, guy-on-girl dancing at this wedding at the wall, people. <laughs> it's like a middle school dance. <laughs> it's a new, new round for Men of the Night's Watch. I feel like some babies are going to get made tonight. It's kind of fun, though. <laughs> like, there was a bit of warmth to that for me. Because it was, they're talking about how even the serving girls who would typically not be asked to dance in a situation like this. Because there's so few women there. I don't know. It seemed kind of fun. The only thing we were missing was like a, a Harry Potter style shot of one one who's g- grop in this case in his own dress robes. So true. And now or that's, some synchronized dancing, some like coordinated. Have to end the episode spins. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's your own of the chapter? Oh yeah 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 yeah. I'm gonna give my own of the chapter. I have two. Okay. Rusted hinges screamed like damned souls when Wick Whittlestick yanked the door wide enough for John to slip through. Creepy. <laughs> and when John said to Axel, he was like, if you are truly Queen Selyse's hand, then I feel sorry for her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did he actually say that? He I said, missed that. He said, if you are truly Queen Selyse's hand, then I feel sorry for her. Like he he didn't even say like, oh yeah, I know that you're the hand of the queen. I didn't. I totally <laughs> missed that. That's so good. Yeah, that was after he said the. Uh, I don't care if you've slept with her. I just want her not to be pregnant or whatever. She's broken in. <laughs> I was fine. still. I was still um, fixated on that. Yeah, Axel Florent was really vying for positioning, some kind of positioning, like to get in his ear, so maybe John would get in Stannis's ear. I'm not really sure what he was trying to do, but he wasn't very self-aware enough in that moment, and he didn't care enough about John to like see if he was having a good time in the conversation either. But I, <laughs> like I said earlier, I'm glad it didn't escalate, because if John wanted to start some shit in that moment, like I guess luckily the horns were already blowing, so that's good. But right. it wouldn't have went well for anyone. It would have made him kind of look petty, because he would have been taking what Axel was saying so offensively. And it really wasn't that offensive. It was just so disrespectful but i felt like john really cut across with that disrespect right after like if you are truly queen Selyse's hand oh that is i that is really Ice good cold. it's Ice a sick cold. burn yeah it is what about you um i'm going between a couple of things i'm gonna give my own to at the beginning when john is about to give alice Carshark away he says my lady, are you ready? Yes. Oh, yes. You're not scared? The girl smiled in a way that reminded John so much of his little sister that it almost broke his heart. Let them be scared of me. I thought that was such a cool little moment. And she says, like, Winter's Queen, I think, mm-hmm. right after that. Yeah, something like that. It's just the nicest John's been, in my mind, in a really long time. And 
she just she kind of earned that moment by accessing the sort of point of view and like strength of will that he really admires in people. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a, a nice little moment. That's all. If you'd like to add your voice to the den, you can email us, contact gameofowns.com, or you could send your owns in via social media or really anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be specifically involved with Song of Ice and Fire, but you're more likely to get people to like and retweet it because we all need something to hold us together in this moment. Like as if a worldwide pandemic wasn't enough. To, I know. The fandom continues. And we're all, it's so cool to be like looking at the community through that lens because there's so much going on in the world that we can all sort of comment on. And previously it's like, yeah, you can do that with pop culture. Of course you can do it with the thing that like sort of draws everyone together. But what about when it's the off? season or when you know there's not a lot of brand new discourse so like we haven't made a podcast episode in a few weeks then what you know <laughs> thank god for COVID-19 <laughs> wait no <laughs> wait a second um for those of you who want to follow along at home you can find our reading order at afeastwithdragons.com and next time we're going to be reading Daenerys 8 stay clean y'all stay safe